Vane put an arrow through Frey's heart without allowing her another syllable. Whatever affection she had felt for Frey evaporated upon discovering her true nature. A tear formed in Frey's eye as she collapsed, but Vane didn't notice. Whatever warmth the two had shared died with Frey. Welcome to League of Lore, a podcast about the lore of League of Legends and other properties set in the Runeterran universe. I'm your host Jacob, or Skullhood Soldiers, and let's get into it. Now today we're focusing on three very particular characters in Demacia. One of which does not have a lot of story going on with her, which is a bit unfortunate, but that is just the nature of the lore in League of Legends. Sometimes some characters have more or less development, depending on when they came out and if they've been updated recently or anything along those lines. But the other two have had a bit more development in the stories, especially Quinn. And lastly, we have Vane. These three represent three different aspects of the Masian society in my mind. And that's why I really want to like lump them all together, because of their interconnecting themes. With Fior representing Demacia's elite or nobility... Quinn representing Demacia's poorer or rural society, and Vane representing Demacia's fear and hatred of monsters and their monster hunting aspects. Now, let's start with Fiora. Fiora's story is of being the youngest daughter in her family. Her family is a family of nobles. And amongst nobility, um, they have a tradition that if like a, a slight is made, then maybe a duel will occur. Fiora was always fascinated by duels. And therefore, even from a very young age, she was constantly practicing dueling. Like when she was given a mannequin to try dresses on, uh, she instead used it for target practice and was dueling with the mannequin. Now, despite her great efforts to sh and her great reluctance... Uh, she was eventually signed up for an arranged marriage between uh, herself and a member of the Crown Guard family, which would have been a very powerful political marriage. However, on the wedding day in which Jarvan III was present, she basically said, Nope, I'm out. I don't want to do this. I don't want to marry no man. I want to be a duelist. And so it caused a great dishonor towards the Crown Guards. And therefore, a duel was... Uh, declared, like, I want to duel you. Fiora immediately accepted. But then her father, not realizing how awesome her, his daughter was, uh, interceded on her behalf and said, I will take her place as the one in the duel. Jarvan III allowed this, and therefore they went forward. Unfortunately, it turns out Fiora's father was a cheat, and he was going to uh, poison his opponent, so that when the duel actually happened, he would be able to win, like, more handedly. Once it was discovered, he was arrested, and even more dishonor was now heaped onto Fiora's family. Fiora only had one option left to her, and she declared, instead of having her, her entire family dishonored for her father's actions, she was instead, because if he was, he was going to be executed for what he was going to do, most likely, or face some sort of consequences for trying to poison someone during a duel. And so instead, she's like, let me duel my father, and I will 
take on the mantle of head of the family, and Willis washes all under the rug. I will handle this. Jarvis III allowed this. Fiora then went to her father in the prison cell and had some sort of secret conversation. There is no clue as to what happened in this conversation. All we know is that afterwards, Fiora and her father dueled, and Fiora handedly beat him. In like a quick exchange of blows, Fiora beat him. No sooner had she done that, she didn't decide to reorganize the, her entire family, bringing in all her cousins and extended family all in, and decided to create the greatest duelist in the country. She decided that they will no longer be known as the family who had a head of family who, who tried to poison his opponent. No, they were known as the most honorable and the most dedicated and the most powerful duelists in their country, in Demacia. Well, we get some stories where Fiora uh, didn't uh, duel someone later, uh, due to which becomes like a running theme with Fiora. Basically, whenever she is going out, her oftentimes her family is insulted because of what her father did, and therefore she has to defend her family's honor, which does give into her a spot of trouble, but it doesn't really matter because she's constantly winning these duels. And because of this, um, like, I think there's a duel where she cuts off a guy's ear. Uh, and it just becomes a running theme with Fiora, where she is this person who's defied convention in nobility. Where it seems like the youngest daughter is oftentimes married off to cause political marriages. That seems to be the way it rolls in, in Demacia. But Fiora said, nope, after that noise, I'm now head of the family, even as the youngest daughter. And I'm going to make us all fantastic duelists, because that's what I love, and we're and I'm sick and tired of us being called cheats because of what my father tried to do. And we even see that in the card game, Fiora's entire family, like all these duelist-themed cards uh, in Demacia, they're all f members of her family. So just to point, just to bring that into focus, like she is the duelist, the grand duelist of Demacia for a reason, and she is crazy powerful. Now, moving on from the nobility aspect of Fiora, we'll, we'll come back to that, but let's move on to Quinn's story. Quinn's story is kind of a tragedy in a sense, but with some upside near the end. Quinn's story is about uh, when she was young, she had a brother, and they w wanted to become members of the Ranger Knights of Demacia. Ranger Knights are essentially the... The knights in charge of exploring the wilderness and the outskirts of Demacian territory, and they're also in charge of like protecting like the rural, the more rural societies out there. That is their job, and so they wanted to become ranger knights, and their mother was one of them. Uh, she was specifically a warden, I believe, which is a form of ranger knight, and so they were trained by her, and eventually they were commissioned by some nobility from the Grand City of Demacia to help them hunt a Tuskvor. Now, Tuskvor is essentially a very powerful animal. Uh, it's a bit unclear what kind of animal like it looks like, but based on the name Tuskvor, we can assume it's some sort of giant boar. Uh, some sort of fantasy giant boar, at least. Well, during the hunt, things go really wrong, because Tuskvors are very dangerous, and, and Quinn and her brother even warned the ability, like, hey, this is a very dangerous animal to hunt, are you sure? And they did anyways, but during the bout with the Tuskvor, Quinn's brother tragically died. With really the only ones that really got out unscathed were the nobility, thanks to Quinn. Specifically, Asona's father, Barrett Bouvel, 
was saved by Quinn. Quinn saved his life from the Tusk Four. After this, she kind of goes into a depressive spiral where she doesn't want to do anything. She is so distraught over the loss of her brother. But eventually, uh, there's a moment where the same Tusk Four that killed her brother and nearly killed Barrett Bravell attacks her while she's at her brother's grave. Only for it to be saved by an azure uh, eagle, which is which were thought to be extinct, but they were not. And this azure eagle comes in, saves her life, and then in return she saves its life when, from the Tusfor as the Tusfor begins to get the upper hand against this eagle. Eventually she puts down the Tusfor with a well-placed bolt from a crossbow, and then she goes over and patches up the azure eagle, which then they become inseparable. They become bonded, full, truly and fully. And this Azure Eagle becomes her companion, Valor. After this event, eventually, uh, she is inducted full-time into the Ranger Knights by uh, Tiana Crownguard, who's the Marshal of, the, of Demacia, uh, thanks to Lestari Bouvel, Barrett Bouvel's uh, wife, who basically said uh, it was after uh, Barrett Bouvel's death, uh, we, we see this in one of Sona's short stories, like last episode I talked about, where Lestara essentially talks to Tiana, said, hey, this lady Quinn, she saved my husband's life one time, would you, like, talk, like, hear her out on joining the Ranger Knights, and Tiana does. And now, we get to the point where the major rebellion happens, like, we, we get a little bit of a time skip. As, during the major rebellion, or a bit afterwards, Quinn is going about... Uh, scouting around when she learns that someone has been kidnapped. And so she starts to investigate because they're out in the wilderness. And so she starts investigating as clues begin stacking up. And one of her fellow Ranger Knights, it's someone who's below him because he's just a war he is a lower rank than she is. Uh, they team up and they begin trying to track down because Ranger Knights are expert trackers where this kidnapped mother and daughter went. It turns out, that she was not really being kidnapped, but being returned to her homeland because she is from a tribe that orig originates in the Freljord. And her brother had come down to help her leave Demacia due to fear that her daughter might be a mage and therefore will be taken away from her by the mage seekers. And she would have no protection because her husband, who had been a member of the Demacia military, had died in combat. And so she's like, okay, I'm nothing tying me here anymore. I need to leave. Well, Quinn is at first hesitant to allow them to leave. She actually gets into a bit of a scuffle with the Freudian tribesmen. And, but eventually she decides to let them go. Uh, the, her uh, fellow Ranger Knight tries to argue with her, but she pulls rank, which she never really does. But she does pull rank and says, hey... How would arresting this mo this mom and daughter and killing her family, because that's what they would be doing, they'd be killing her family, how would that be protecting Demacia? Because that is their job. Their job as Ranger Knights is to protect Demacia. And, well, Quinn's point is, like, it wouldn't, really. So she lets them go, and they, a, and they go back and forth a bit, but eventually she's like, I think it did the right thing. And she decides to then go on to her actual assignment. The kidnapping thing kind of happened between assignments. 
which was to help Garen uh, during the events of the Garen Light Shield comic, or not comic, uh, novella, where Garen is going is discovering uh, a Noxian plot in Nokmerk, which is a small nation between Demacia and Noxus. And so she goes with him to help him resolve that conflict. And that's the last we really hear of Quinn for now. And then we get Vane. Vane's story is kind of... She's kind of the Batman of Demacia in a lot of ways. Her story is, when she was very, very little, her parents were killed by the demon Evelyn. There's a lot of evidence that it is Evelyn. And like in the, in the story, it kind of says a demon, but like everyone knows it's probably Evelyn based on descriptions and the M.O. Evelyn is a demon of agony, and she seduces her targets only to then rip the pleasure away. So it's unclear uh, what she, how she killed the parents, but it seems to be implied that she just saw the parents were happy, and she likes ripping away happiness in general. And so she used that opportunity to inflict agony upon them by ripping away their happiness by killing them, and then also harming Vane, giving her even more agony. Dude, this, this drives Vane to become a monster hunter, uh, and she begins wielding like silver bolts in her little uh, arm crossbow that she wears on her wrist, and or on her forearm technically, and she even has a giant crossbow at her back. And so show she goes on a journey to hunt down Evelyn. During this journey, she goes up into the Freljord, where she meets a a a person named Frey, who after. Um, helping her learn how to hunt down monsters and stuff, because Freya is very good at this herself. It's revealed during a, a, a very severe conflict where Bane's in danger that Frey is actually a shaman and is able to shapeshift into uh, various Freyordian beasts. In this case, she transforms into a Freyordian wolf. Or Frostfang, I believe is what they're called. And... She does kill, like, what's going to try to kill Vane, but because she reveals herself to be a monster, quote-unquote, Vane straight up just kills her, as seen in the quote earlier. She just straight up kills her, and even smiles afterwards. Vane is not a good person, in my, in, my, in my humble opinion. Her story is all about, like, this cycle, this desire for vengeance, which leads her to be blind to the fact that not all monstrous creatures or entities are actually monsters they just have monstrous features like Frey was even explaining before she got killed that yes she used a dark magic pact to become a shaman however she was doing it so that she could fight a greater evil in the form of Lysandra and Vane's like nah you use dark magic you're a monster die she she gives no f's well eventually though Vane begins to maybe soften a little bit on that view it's a bit unclear but during the Sentinels of Light event, she joins the Sentinels of Light. Um, and she helps them battle back the, the second ruination, or just the ruination, of, of Runeterra, being led by Viego. She helps them hunt down Viego, uh, battle all across Runeterra. Uh, eventually develops a sort of kinship with Graves, who had also joined the Sentinels of Light. Graves is another character who's from Bilgewater. We'll cover him later when we get to Bilgewater. The point is that she also has to work alongside several entities or, or people who would be considered monsters. In particular, Rengar, who's a literal cat person. 
and uh, Rakat Vestaya, and also Pike, who is a undead uh, revenant kind of character who would definitely be considered a monster. And she also has conundrums uh, with uh, the, one of the leaders of the Sentinels of Light, Insena. Kasena is part undead. She's like a part wraith. And she thinks she's a monster. She even tr- almost tries to kill her, but due to some conversation and Lucian, Senna's husband, interfering, it's all sort of cleared up and Vane decides, fine, I won't kill you. We have bigger fish to fry. And by the end of this event, she doesn't exactly become more comfortable with these more monstrous creatures. She's just more like, okay, fine. I won't kill you, Senna. You're seem chill. Because at least you're mostly still, you still have your humanity. I don't know about Pike or Rengar. And so, in the end, she basically says, like, fine, we're all part of the Sense of Light. I won't kill you. I'll let bygones be bygones. But if you do something monstrous later on, I will hunt you down. And that is when, after the events of the Sense of Light events wrap up, and Biego is defeated, she decides to become a permanent member of the Sentinels of Light, unlike the others who go off on their own journeys. She becomes a permanent member of the Sentinels of Light, and specifically she becomes the, I wouldn't say in charge of necessarily, but the founding of the new Demacian Sentinels of Light branch, because that branch had been destroyed during the events of the Second Rebination, and so now she is becoming the new founding member of the Demacian branch of the Sentinels of Light. And that's where her story is currently right now. But before we go on onto the the intricacies of like the Demacian nobility or the wilds and outlining and the monster hunting side of things, uh, we're going to take a quick break and then we'll be right back. Hey everyone, do you enjoy the Elder Scrolls? Do you like to hear about the lore in an RP setting? Well, do we have a show for you. Come join us on Elder Scrolls Off the Rails, for our Let's Play episodes, our random banter, and maybe some of our upcoming D&D campaigns. You can find us wherever podcasts are available. If you want to help spread the show or simply get more content, you can follow the official Twitter at League of Lore 2 for updates on the podcast and other lore tidbits, as well as rate or follow the podcast on your podcatcher of choice. You can also follow my Twitch account, twitch.tv slash soldiers, where I stream myself playing League of Legends and other games and discuss the lore and gameplay of those properties. And once again, I just want to thank everyone who has been listening and downloading and doing all the cool stuff on the podcast, on your podcast of choice. It has been a great boon. It's really been a big motivation. And I know I keep saying that, but it's, it's so true. And just thank you all for just being there and supporting and just listening and enjoying this show. I'm going to continue to do it, and I can't wait to get on to our next region, which will be coming up shortly. Uh, but before we get into that, let's get back to the show. Now, like I said, Fiora, Quinn, and Vane are kind of three different aspects of the Muslim society, the nobility and their dueling culture, the wilds and outlying villages, uh, and also like the monster hunting. Uh, it turns out, yes, a country that hates magic also doesn't like monsters. Color me shocked. Now, there is some evidence for why they should be worried about monsters. Like I said earlier in the podcast, they do have a demon problem beginning to sprout up, and having monster hunters hunt those down makes sense. But let's focus more on the nobility for a second. The nobility in Demacia are fascinating because they are so... They kind of are stereotypical nobility. They 
have arranged marriages, they have a dueling culture, all the usual things we think about from like medieval style nobility in the, in real life, in real history. And what makes it more interesting, to me at least, is while yes, Fiora was going to be married off because she was the youngest daughter, it it seems to be that it wasn't because she was a daughter necessarily, although there that's a bit arguable. It's unclear if it's because she was the youngest star that she was being giving, being married off, or if she was the youngest son, if that would have been the same thing. It's a bit unclear. And the reason I say this is because we see a lot of evidence in Demacia that they are fairly, at least egalitarian when it comes to where certain gender roles fit in society. Like, we have Tiana Crownguard, who is the leader of the military in Demacia. She is head honcho in the military. She is the head marshal. Women can join the military all the time. Heck, Quinn's part of the military, for example. And then we have Fiora's being a duelist, which her being a duelist wasn't a problem. It was her being the youngest daughter wanted to be a duelist. That was a problem. So it's just an interesting little thing here where there seems to be some tight control over what roles certain members of a family can take, as in when you are born necessarily but it's not the same when it comes to like what gender you have or because they don't really care about that at, at least it seems like although there is some evidence that maybe uh the the women of the family get married off more often than the men do that's possible uh we know lux tried to get married off the, the crown guards tried to marry her off to jarvan the fourth but that was also to protect her because she was a mage but in general, it's, a, it's just a bit unclear. But that's just the interesting thing about the Masi. It's such a strict um, society, a very conservative society. And yet, when it comes to like the military, when it comes to the general roles people can have in society, they're fairly free-thinking in the, in the idea that women can go anywhere, men can go anywhere, we don't really care, as long as you are serving the greater the Masi in whole. And having this dueling culture in is also very interesting because it feeds into Demacia being obsessed with honor. If you insult my family, I challenge you to a duel. We have the duel. If you win, okay. If I lose, okay. That's how it goes. The fact that uh, Fior's father trying to cheat was such a grand thing that it was going to dishonor her entire family, probably for generations, if she didn't step in and kill her own father. That's kind of extreme. That shows how how much the dueling culture matters to Demacian nobility. Uh, Jarvan III is implied to not be wanting dueling stuff to happen as much because he's been trying to gradually depower the nobility a little bit. But obviously it doesn't work here because his, his, are, his hands are tied when it comes to the dueling aspect of the nobility. It's just something that he has not been able to mess with. And now he's dead, so he can't really do much of anything anymore. Then we get, like, the Damasian Wild Outlying Villages, because a lot of Damasian stories, surprisingly, don't take place in the Great State of Damasia. Some of the major stories do, such as the Major Rebellion being the big one that happens in the Great City of Damasia. But a lot of its stories actually take place in the outlying regions outside of the cities, out in the boonies, in the rural areas, in the mountains. That is where a lot of the conflict happens, which makes sense. In the core of Demacia, Anala happens besides the great, besides the major rebellion, because that's where their the core of their power is. That's where they're the most powerful. But
But as you get farther out towards the outskirts of Damasian territory, the more you need, like, ranger knights to go around to make sure that all the little villages are protected and safe. It is very interesting that they have a whole branch of the military just for the wilderness. That is their core job, is to be patrolling the wilderness, watching out for possible invasions, scouting. They are the essentially the bulwark with which Demacia is protected. They have a really important job, which is to watch out for threats on the border. That is basically their job. On the border and in the wilds, where uh, dragons or other monsters could exist, and their job is to watch out for them, track them, hunt them down, or warn them as a scout in case an, a possible invasion is occurring or other problems. So it's just really fascinating that the Ranger Knights have this position in their society, and Quinn in particular is such a very prominent Ranger Knight. It's just a really fascinating little story, and I like the fact that Ranger Knights seem to always have some sort of animal companion that is a common theme with them. So it's just an interesting aspect that because they're out on the outskirts, as seen with Quinn, they get a bit more leeway in their decision-making as well. And because of this, Quinn has her own personal feelings about magic and the Major Rebellion. She doesn't like the Major Rebellion because it's causing chaos and it's hurting all the little people and the poorer people and the villagers out on the outskirts. But when she has someone that could be a mage in her presence, she lets them go. Because in her mind, she hates the Mage Seekers possibly even more than the Mage Rebels. Because in her mind, the Mage Seekers are the reason the Rebellion happened. Or more accurately, they are hunting down fellow Damasians in her mind. She doesn't really think mages are as big of a threat as the mage seekers want everyone else to believe. Her concern is more about protecting Damasia as a whole. She doesn't care about some single mage wanting to leave the country, because how is that protecting Damasia? It's not. She's like, let them go, it's just one woman and her daughter, and they're not going to cause any problems, they just want to go back home. So, let them go. Now, she does actually have her own personal biases. It's shown that because she was raised in Masian, when she sees uh, what looks like a, 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 a rune made out of ash in uh, the woman's home, she thinks it's magic. Because of course she does. She was also born out in the boonies. She doesn't, she's not as well-versed in magic as some other people might be. But she, when she talks to the mom, and the mom explains, like, hey, this was just like a protective cultural thing from my from my village we just do that to as like a little thing to say to like uh ward our children but it's not actually magic it's just like a cultural thing that we do she means like okay cool i'm sorry that i assumed that that was evil magic when it's not it's just a protective ward uh that not that you can be magical it's just something that they do to uh want their children to be safe which is a really interesting aspect of Quinn in particular, but also the fact that uh, even though one of her fellow Ranger Knights disagrees, they, they they acquiesce to her because she's high rank, and she pulls rank on him, and she's like, fine, I'll let go, it's your decision. This is really interesting, this aspect of like the Ranger Knights, and I hope we get more Ranger Knight stories, because Quinn's story seems to be the most interesting of a lot of the Demacian characters, in my opinion. Then we have the monster hunting aspect. Now, like I said, I'm not a big fan of Vane in terms of... I think she's an interesting character, but I just don't like her personally. I think she's kind of um, 
very mean and possibly even evil in the fact that she just just shoots someone and smiles about it just because they turned into a monster to save her life and they weren't even being monstrous about it they were just like yo are you okay like and also we know like shamans in the village aren't necessarily evil like they're just shamans that's all they are they're able to shapeshift but that doesn't make them evil they're just a thing they do even if she became a shaman through dark magic it's unclear like what would be considered dark magic in the Freljord versus uh, Demacia, and why she called it dark magic. Uh, there's, there's a bunch of little intricacies when it comes to Frey and her interactions with Vane. But the broader point is, we learned that the Sentinels of Light were potentially, if not founded in Demacia, they have a, they have a close tie to Demacia. Because uh, the Sentinels of Light have relic weapons, which is a bit unclear where how those weapons were made. But we know that in Demacia, there is a strong history of fighting undead. Like, Demacians would sometimes send their soldiers out on expeditions to the Shadow Isles to fight off undead. So there is a history here tying the Sentinels of Light to Demacia. In fact, Lucian, who is a member of Sentinels of Light, is from Demacia. Senna is not, but she is. She lived near Demacia, from my understanding. Or maybe a little farther out. It's a bit... Uh, We'll get to Senna when we get to Senna. But the broader point is the Sentinels of Light do have some sort of connection to Demacia. And we can see that expanding outwards to a broader monster hunting culture in aspects of Demacia in vain. And we know there are other monster hunters in Demacia because uh, where else did Vayne get like your... Why do they know that Silver is good against monsters? Well, because Vayne learned about it and trained to be a monster hunter. That is where all that came from. And so, it's just another aspect that feeds into, like, Demacia's fear of magic and mages, but now it spins out to magical creatures, which they call monsters. That's why it includes, like, dragons, and demons, and apparently shapeshifters, and other sorts of monsters. Like, we see Vayne fighting a monster in one of her short stories, which is actually really fascinating, but she plays with her prey. Like, she plays with this monster, making him feel a, a small amount of false hope before straight up killing them. After basically monologuing about how she knows they're a monster and blah, blah, blah. And then killing them without giving them a chance to fight back. It is just showing that Vayne is very vindictive towards monsters. And while the Sentence of Light event show that she may have chilled at least a little bit on that. It's unclear how much she's chilled. Like, did her... A bur burgeoning friendship with Graves help her chill out a bit? Did her having to work alongside Senna and Pike and Rengar help chill her out a bit? That is still a bit unclear. Uh, and we still don't even know, like, and we also know that she wasn't a big fan of Diana, who was a member of Sentinel Light during that event, uh, because Diana is an entity of magic. She is an aspect. She is inherently magical. But she likely didn't, but likely, um, what her antagonism towards her wouldn't have been wasn't as extreme because of the fact that Demacia was literally helped by uh, aspects in the forms of Kale and Morgana. So it's kind of like one of the situations where, like, I don't like the fact you're magical, but at the same time, our, my country was kind of helped by you by people like you in the past. So I'm not going to throw too much of a hissy fit about it. But in general, that is. Demacia's, like, three little aspects that we are now covering here with, like, the nobility, 
the wilds and outlying villages and their monster hunting culture. And that is basically it with Fiora, Queen, and Vane. Like I said, there wasn't a lot to their stories right now, but they are important to talk about because of them showing these three little aspects of Demacian culture. Well, if you have any questions or thoughts, please send them in your reviews on your podcatcher of choice or to loreofroomterra at gmail.com. You can also now send them through the Discord channel, League of Lore, on the Robots Radio D- Network Discord, and they'll be answered next episode. And next episode, it's finally time that we talk about the last major event in Demacia, and one I have talked about a few times now, even in this very episode, the Second Ruination, the Demacian Harrowing, or otherwise known as the Sentinels of Light event. See you all next time.